Thank you very much, Andy. It's fantastic to be with you guys. Uh, mm. Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? So much has happened since that time. Crazy days we live in. Crazy days. And, you know, I'm wearing my dancing shoes, uh, you know, because I have to dance. There's one thing you have to know about me. I have to dance. It's just not permissible for me not to dance. The Lord doesn't let me not dance. I, you know, I, when I was a young man, I, I wasn't a Christian. I, I didn't become one until I was 24. And uh, sitting in services, I used to make fun of Christian songs. One of my favorite ones to make fun of was The Lord of the Dance. <laughs> yeah, he gets the last laugh. So, you know, he, he makes me do stupid things because I'm a fool for Christ. So, he's turned my lament, lament into a whirling dance. He's ripped up my sad black morning band. He's clothed me with joy, filled my heart with song. I can't stop drinking my God so strong. <laughs> the wine is alive. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Ah, let's get that out of my system. Anybody love Godfrey Bertle? Anybody love? Only me. He's my favourite worship leader. Obviously, after you, Andy. You know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no. You, you've got to dance. You've got to dance. I have to dance. The spirit compels me to. So, um, before I get into my little talk, I want. God's been speaking to me a few things since I've arrived. I thought I'd just need to get a couple of them off my chest before I uh, go on. And one of them was prompted by the prayer meeting when Robin came in. And uh, I remember Robin from the time before. And uh, when he came in, it's just the Holy Spirit said to me, uh, there's a season coming on this church when people are going to find me when they're not looking for me. You know, in the prayer meeting, everyone was very passionately calling out to be filled with the Holy Spirit which is fantastic, because God always honors that prayer. Uh, but there's a sense in which God is actually going to surprise some people in this church in these days. You know, anybody, any King Gardeners here? There's one. Hazel. Thank you, Hazel. Just, oh, there's wannabe gardeners. Yeah, I, I, love, I love a bit of garden. I wish I had more time for it. I keep on top of it. But whenever I'm out in my garden, the robin is always at my side. I don't know about you, but that's amazing. I love birds. And a robin is always turning up totally unexpected. I don't look for it. I don't call it. It just comes. And there's a sense in which in these days, some of you may have got tired. Some of you may not be looking for the Holy Spirit, but he's going to turn up. He's going to turn up. He's going to be right at your side at odd moments. Obviously, at your side all the time. But you know what I mean? He's going to turn up in visible ways, in concrete ways, in ways which you know he's there and surprise you. And let you know that he's with you. He's going to be with you to see kingdom come. To to encourage you. To give you boldness. To step out. And see little bits of heaven. Grace gifts from your father. Come. Not just to you and your family. But to those that you are living with. And living among and working with. Ah, Because he's a generous kind of God. Amen. Honestly, so I tell you that because God does nothing unless he first reveals it to his servants or prophets. It says that in Isaiah 3, Isaiah, Amos chapter 3, verse 7. So you've got to speak out whatever God gives you. Uh, it gives him permission to do something crazy. So I hope he's going to do something crazy in your life. He's done enough in my life.
but I want more. <laughs> Hungry for more. Uh, and the other, the other thing was, you know, as we were crying out to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it took me back to that time when the, the uh, apostles asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Remember that in Luke 11. They'd obviously seen Jesus pray. They'd obviously seen a lot of people pray. But when some people pray, they pray. And they, there was something about the way Jesus was praying. They said, teach us to pray like you pray. He had an ease with God. He had an intimacy with his Father. They desired it. They wanted it. It wasn't religious. It wasn't boring. It wasn't a duty. It was life-giving. Teach us how to pray like that, how to talk to God like that, Lord, they said. And Jesus obviously teaches them the Lord's Prayer, doesn't he? But I love, our God always does more than we ask. That's the truth. Unless we're asking to look good. (laughs) Of course, then we can forget it. If we don't mind looking a fool, he always does more than we ask. (laughs) Honestly, he always does more than we ask. And so, you know, not only does he teach them that, and then he teaches them ask, seek, and knock. And at the end of that, because those who ask receive, those who knock, the door is open, you know, ask those who seek, find, or whatever. And uh, then he says, for how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So they'd ask him, teach us how to talk with God. And Jesus says, I'll do better than that. I'm going to teach you how to to live with God, how to commune with God on a moment-by-moment basis so that God lives with you. How amazing is that? Isn't that beautiful? Honestly, that's beautiful. Remember, next time you stumble a prayer out, it may feel inadequate. God does more than you ask. More than you, well, Paul says, incomparably, super abundantly, above and beyond more than you ask or imagine. I feel that for you, Phil. I feel that's a word for you in this season. I I believe God is doing more and is going to do more than you ask. And I feel that's going to involve some twists and turns. But uh, there's, a, there's an anointing on you to start things and to, and to see things grow, planted. And so I just, feel, I just want to speak that over you. Again, in this season, to stir up the gift of God in you. Okay, I better get on with my message, haven't I? So, otherwise, we'll be here all night. <laughs> some of you are smiling. That's great. <laughs> He's ripped up my sad black morning band. <laughs> I, uh, I've got some slides. Oh, they've already running. Great. Thank you, Harry. He's a faithful man. <laughs> and uh, so there's some slides running in the background, which basically contain my message. And so if you don't want to listen to me, if you find what I'm saying a bit distracting, you can just look at the slides and, forget, and go off on a wander and just do your own thing. But I want to talk to you about grace and repentance, and I want to talk to you about God's heart. Because, you know, our God is amazing, isn't he? He's incredible. He's so kind. He's so generous. That's my experience. And one of the most outrageous things he says is in John 14, 12. He says, greater things than me will you do because I go to the Father. That's mad. Isn't it mad? But just... The heart of our God. He wants us to be like him, really. We've struggled since creation to believe that. But it's true. Greater things than 
than I will you do because I go to the Father. That's an incredibly powerful promise. And the reason I say it is because a guy that came to our Pioneer Leaders Conference earlier this year, it really impacted me, a guy called Alan Hirsch. Anybody read any of his books? Uh, yeah, the, the, it's fantastic, some of his uh, writings. I recommend him. But he, he gave this little preach and uh, basically says, we don't believe that. We don't actually believe it. We, we've bottled God up and we just don't believe enough from him. And he said, you get this, this picture of the acorn and the acorn and the oak tree. And he said, the seed of every oak tree is in the acorn. A tiny little thing that you can hold in your hands. The seed of every forest that covers a nation is in the oak tree. And he said, the seed of a church is an individual believer. Every individual believer carries the DNA, the seed required to grow a church. We all carry the gift of the Spirit. And he said, every church has the seed for a movement. We've just closed it down. He said, we've got to start prophesying over everything that moves in our churches. And he said, we've got to start prophesying, you will plant a church someday. Over the young, over the old, over the new Christians, those that come to us, the moment they come to us, you will plant a church someday. To to set the power of that seed free. Not to trap it to say, if you you work hard enough and long enough like me after 20 years, you can lead worship. Do you understand what I'm saying? You will plant a church someday, Harry. That's a promise. What it, you know, obviously, what he meant by that was not that we're all going to go and start a hub church or a hope church or a river church or a refresh church. But actually, we can, we can multiply the seed that's in us, that God has given us. If only we believe it. You will plant a church someday. Can you hear the Spirit say that to you? Whisper it to you. You will plant a church someday. Some of you are thinking, you better hurry up. <laughs> but you see, the truth is, I know right now, a lot of you are immediately discounting what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, that, that's, for, that's for the young people. That's not for me. Or that's for the spiritual. That's not, that, that's not for me. That's for those who are really going for it. That's not for me. Or, you know, that's for those who haven't messed up like I've messed up. You know, all kinds of excuses are now going through your heads why you will not plant a church someday. Am I right? I know I'm right. I don't have to be a prophet to tell you that. And if you're not thinking those kind of things, you'll probably lie. You know. So we all have those doubts. And to grab hold of a promise like that, we, you know, we need a couple of things. We need grace and repentance. We need grace to believe that God will do wonders where they're not deserved or earned. That's my life. <laughs> God does wonders, but they're not deserved or earned. We also need to repent, to think again, because our language can hinder us from wanting to tell other people and from other people from receiving what we've got to say. 
So we repent and we think through, how do I communicate the love of God today? Not how did they communicate it 200 years ago or 400 years ago or 500 years ago. How am I to communicate the love of God today in a way that my neighbor might hear me? That's the kind of repentance the Spirit is after. If you want, God will give you a new language. Are you the drummer? Fantastic. What's your name? Jack. You're a gooner. Like my boy, he's a gooner. He's only 14. How old are you, Jack? 16. I just, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit um, just when we were worshipping. So that, you know, David had an anointing when he played the harp. He had an anointing that drove away the darkness, that drove away the, the, the mood that came on Saul. There's something about you, Jack. You carry an anointing to lift darkness. If you will be willing to play, you may not always enjoy it. I'm sure David didn't always enjoy playing for Saul when he had spears thrown at him. But if you are willing to play, the atmospheres will change around you. And I see you being invited to play with other people in different places. Because, not because necessarily you're the best drummer in the world, but just because of the atmosphere you carry. Cultivate it, Jack. Uh, keep communion with the Holy Spirit. Live in fellowship with your God. Live with him. I tell you, it's the best thing in life. The best thing in life. He's so generous and so gracious and so kind. Everybody wants to be in the room with the most generous, kind, gracious man alive who has ever lived. That's why Jesus was so popular. Jack, live with that person, dwell with that person, become like that person. I tell you, the neural anointing will keep growing. Thank you, Jesus. So, we need to rethink. I want to ground it in a bit of scripture for you, because some of you are thinking, where's he going with this? He hasn't, quite, he hasn't used the Bible yet. Well, I did in my, in my warm-up. <laughs> some of you are getting nervous now. You should. <laughs> so, uh, on the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus turns up and chats to a couple of people. And this is what it says. I'll read it because I, it's always good to read scripture. Debbie, it's your home. That's holding the Bible study, isn't it? I've got to pray over you. But anyway, now, behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Not far. Short walk. I love walking in the hills. Jerusalem's in the hills. It's too hot for me there. And they walked and talked all of these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas says, uh, answers and says to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain 
women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they told us they did not find his body. They came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Fantastic. Sneaky Jesus. Sneaky Jesus. Describe those two pillars of the church for me. That Jesus deigns with a personal visit. Describe them. These wonderful apostles. Depressed. Depressed. Doubting. I've got all night. (laughs) If you've got all night, that's great. Any other words you might want to use? Just definitely discouraged. That's a bit of an understatement. Discouraged. Confused, perplexed, yes. Discombobulated. (laughs) Were they mighty men or man and woman of God? Filled with faith. Ready for the battle. Come on. Thanks, Robin. (laughs) No! Brave, brave Sir Robin was running away. That's one for the oldies. They were running away. They were scared. They were dejected. They were hopeless. They were faithless. All their dreams had died. And Jesus comes to them. Not to rebuke them. Not to smack their heads together. Call him a bunch of idiots. I mean, he does call him a bit slow and stupid. Yeah, but you know what I mean? He doesn't come to rebuke them. He comes to strengthen them and to encourage them and to send them on an errand, to use them. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? We sing about amazing grace. That's amazing grace. Some of you need to believe that tonight because some of you are sitting there a little bit discombobulated, a little bit discouraged. A little bit weary. A little bit like saying, we thought we were going to see a revival when we planted this church. We haven't seen it yet. Am I talking to myself? Yeah? Jesus is coming. Not to rebuke you, to strengthen you and encourage you if you will receive grace today. Don't stick up your hand and say, yeah, I know that because I've been praying for it. If you live under the law, you live under a curse. Receive grace from our God. It's the only way. So often I have people come, oh, I wanted to sort this out and sort that out, and then I want to get baptized, or then I want to go out and preach the gospel, or then I want to do something for God. No, you do the thing for God while you're in a mess. And let grace flow to you. And God straightens you out in the doing and in the going. Yeah? Come on, guys. We will never plant a church unless 
we believe that God will use the unworthy, the pretty useless, the washed up, the worn out, the tired, the dejected, the demoralized, the perplexed, the discombobulated. Yeah, we won't. But if we dare to believe that he might use such people, then he might use us. Amen? Come on, guys. Can you feel it? Can you feel the the heart of of our God for you? Stirring you gently to encourage you to believe again today for him to do wonders around you. They also needed to repent because they had it all sorted out in their heads. They knew the scriptures. They'd been studying them for decades. They'd been brought up in them. They knew they were expecting the Messiah. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. They faithfully followed him. But they got it all wrong. They got it all wrong. They needed to rethink. They needed to repent. Jesus needed to go back through the whole story and reframe it for them. I'm telling you, guys, we think that we uh, have got it all sussed, our thinking and our theology. Uh uh-uh. As Tom Wright says, we're too preoccupied with answering 16th century questions with 18th century language. We need to repent for today because we're speaking a language that our generation doesn't recognize. It's like gobbledygook to them. We need to, if we love them, we will speak in a way that they'll understand, not just shout louder the, the words we want them to hear. Anybody get that? Anybody get that? Anybody get that? They needed to repent. Jesus showed them a completely different, topsy-turny, upside-down view of the Messiah. One they weren't ready for. One, a Messiah who was prepared to die for them. A Messiah who was going to be crucified, you know, mocked, ridiculed, laughed at, spat on, whipped. That's the Messiah. That's the one you put all your hope in. That's mad. But that's the Messiah that saves the world. The one that was going to come and redeem Israel in their eyes... It's just the worldly view. It's a Trumpian God. You know, it's one that thinks that power is going to do it. Force is going to do it. No way. The kingdom never comes with force. We've got to slay that ghost. You know, it's rubbish. The kingdom only comes with laying down, with sacrifice, with humility. We've got to repent. You know, for me, this happened really early in my days. I'm in danger of running over, Andy. But for me, this happened really early in my days. Uh, I experienced grace. You know, God came to me and met me in power. I couldn't deny him. And I started to read my Bible, and I couldn't put it down. I love the scriptures, which is why I'm so excited about what you're doing in your home. I used to read it everywhere. You know, I used to read it under my desk at work. Don't do that, by the way. That's robbery. But I, I just couldn't put it, get enough of it. And uh, I used to read it in my lunch times. And one day I was sitting in my car, by, by my car in the car park. It was too hot to sit in the car. And I was reading my Bible. And some guy parked his car up and interrupted me. And I thought, oh, flipping it. I'm trying to read my Bible here. And he said, are you reading the Bible? I said, yes. <laughs> he said, can I read it with you? Hey. <laughs> Okay, then, we decided that we'd, we'd read the Bible together at th- Thursday lunchtimes. A couple of weeks later, 
We're coming back into the office after our Thursday lunchtime gig, and an Irish lady in the office says to me, "Where have you been? Where do you go Thursdays?" We said, "Oh, uh, we read the Bible." She says, "Get out of here! I'm a Catholic. I know what the Bible does. You're not reading the Bible. You're taking drugs or something." She says, you're always so happy when you come back on a Thursday lunchtime. I said, no, we just read the Bible, honest. If you don't believe us, come. So she did. And she bought herself a Bible. <laughs> a few months later, she becomes a Christian. Grace. We saw people healed, saved, delivered. You know, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's just grace. I knew nothing. But I love reading the Bible. You know, some of us need to start reading the Bible in public. Just for our own joy. And see what happens. Or in our homes. And get, ask other people to join us. There was grace there. And then. Uh, I also experienced a bit of repentance. In those early days. You know she, that Irish lady came to me. And said. Uh, before she became a Christian. If I become a Christian. Will God ask me to leave my partner. And they've been cohabiting for five years. And I knew the church's line on it. It's very clear. Clarity's good. <laughs> you know, those of you who've been around any length of time know, you know, you would have to stop the moment you would come through the church. And so uh, she asked me, you know, will God ask me to leave my partner? And I was thinking, I know what the church would say. What do I do here? And I'm normally a very slow thinker. But the Holy Spirit is great, just prompting you. He just gave me something to say, and I thought I'd say it, it sounded good. And I said to her, I think, oh, well, first of all, I can't answer that question, because I'm not God. I don't know what God's going to say to you. I think if you become a Christian, God will speak to you, and he'll tell you what to do with your partner. But if you want my advice, or if you're asking what my opinion as to what God might say, I would say, I think that God might think that well, you're already practically married, you've been living together for five years, Anyway, when she became a Christian, the scary thing is, she comes bounding up to me. She says, Come on, come on, I've become a Christian. It's fantastic. I feel the Holy Spirit. It's brilliant, brilliant. I don't care if God asked me now to leave my partner. I thought, Ooh. <laughs> but that, that's uh, a bit of repentance there. You know, I, I didn't just give the party line. Some of us have got to just stop giving the party line when we're asked questions. Because we're not thinking when we give it, we're just trolling out what we think is, we, we've got to. Actually, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us words. Kind words. Words that release and build up. Not words that bind and tie down and condemn. Honestly. We've got to. We've got to. For the sake of the next generation that's coming along after. They're not bad people, you know. They're great people. If only we, we can get to talk to them. They'll find out we're not so bad either. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I'm looking for the stones. Um, so... Grace and repentance are really, really key. You know, I'll give you another little illustration and then I might stop and pray a bit. I was at, uh, I foster teenagers. We, we foster teenagers as a family, which is bonkers, isn't it? It's actually bonkers. Why would you do that? I do that because my wife, it's my wife's call. <laughs> and I'm just walking it with her. And I like meeting people and I like, you know, getting to know, finding out how people tick and stuff. So it works out well. Uh, Well, yeah, I know where I was going. And uh, so 
I was asked by another foster carer who was looking after some lads if, we, if I'd go and play football with my son and you know, his boys. And uh, we did. And then afterwards, he wanted to invite me back. He's a Christian. You know, I knew he'd want to talk theology with me, and he did. <laughs> and I wind him up something chronic. You know, he goes to a very kind of conservative evangelical church. Nothing wrong with conservative evangelical church, but, you know... Honestly, I think we've got to repent and think through our language. Anyway, so I, uh, we're talking about it. We're talking about the cross. And I, could, and I was getting a little bit niggled because you know, it was, he was just too neat. So I said to him, do you understand what the cross is? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, Jesus had to die so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be washed in the blood, you know, and I, you know, so that my sins could be forgiven. I said, yeah, that all sounds a bit religious. Can I tell you what I think? And I start to explain to him uh, what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, that Jesus Christ died to set us free from the fear of death. Jesus willingly embraced the worst things that the world could throw at him as a follower of Yahweh in order to show us that we could love others no matter what they do to us and still win. That's why the early church went to the lions and to the gladiators freely and willingly. Not because they wanted to die, but because they trusted their God through death. They weren't afraid of death. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's how we overcome the enemy after all. It's a good message, isn't it? I bet you're encouraged. Anyway, I, I said that, you know, so Jesus died willingly. He trusted the Father through death. This wasn't the Father doing something to him instead of us. That's nonsense. This was Jesus laying down his life for us to set us free from the thing that controls us. The fear of death. If the enemy can make you afraid, he can control you and make you do whatever he likes. We all act terribly when we're fearful. I tell you what, though. Once you've lost your fear, you're dangerous. You can do anything. It doesn't matter what people say or do to you. You can love people and do the right thing. Anyway, so I said this, and then all of a sudden, his wife, she was playing with the kids, the uh, younger ones. She turns up and said, oh, I've never heard that before. Can we go to his church? <laughs> turns out she's not a Christian. She tried. She really tried. She went to church for six months and tried to be a Christian, tried to go to that church, his church. And she said, whenever I ask questions, they always answer me with things like, oh, you can't possibly understand that or ask that kind of question because God's ways are so mysterious. You know, uh, God's ways are not our ways. Which is sometimes true, but often Christians use that as a get-out because our answers are rubbish. Honestly, we need to repent. I want to, my, my prayer is that I stir up a gift of repentance amongst you so you rethink through the message of the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus in a way which you can communicate with passion and fire Today! Not yesterday, not 50 years ago, today. Harry, it's yours if you want it. You'll plant a church one day. I'm going to keep telling you until you believe me. I love your faithfulness. I love your spirit. You're a servant-hearted man. God raises up the faithful, Harry. He raises them up. So we need grace. You know, often we, we, we all come with grace, don't we? Let's be honest, because we can come no other way. And we're all amazed to find out that God really loves us. That's incredible. 
and we come in full of joy. So often the Christian journey is this. As they lose joy, because actually they're not growing in grace. They start to come under law. We need to grow in grace. That's what Peter says. Grow in grace. So you start off at a pretty high place, but you grow. You receive more grace from God, not less. Some of you are looking at me a bit perplexed. Confused, discombobulated. That's good news. It means you're in a perfect place for Jesus to come and speak to you. Or I'm not asking that you agree with me. What I have discovered, and I tell you this, because it's bringing me, it brings me so much joy, so much joy. The lens I choose to read scripture through now is relational. Every doctrine, every single doctrine that you can name and shout out to me, I will give you a relational explanation of. I will talk you through a relational approach, why God did it relationally, why God asked us to do it relationally, not religiously, not as some dogma we have to believe, but a healthy relational way of being. I tell you, if you would use, choose that as your lens through reading scripture, every single story, if you can't read it relationally, you haven't read it right. And so if you can't read it relationally, just keep repenting and repenting, wrestling and repenting, because that's why we're called Israel after all, because we all wrestle with God until we walk with a limp. We wrestle and we repent until we can see the truth, which is glorious. Honestly, some of you get it. I can see that. Choose that lens. See everything, the cross through that lens, prayer through that lens, evangelism through that lens, judgment through that lens, everything through that lens. And joy will grow in your hearts. Freedom will come. You may end up dancing a bit more than you like. (laughs) But that's okay. (laughs) Honestly, it's not bad. People do laugh sometimes, but that's okay. Okay. I think I've done enough. But I need to pray for you, Debbie. And, sorry, Doug. Sorry, Doug, I didn't mean to miss you out. Because, the only reason I say that is because before you, I learned that you were going to do that Bible study in your homes, that Bible reading group, God had already spoken to me, Debbie, for you, and said, you're one of the people that he wants to encourage to read the scriptures afresh. And do that in your own time, in your own way. And you're going to be a surprise at what God does through that. Life is going to be released through you as you just honestly ask the Holy Spirit to take you through and teach you the scriptures. Not what you think you ought to believe, but just ask the questions that come to you as you read, honestly, as if you're reading it for the first time. And then ask the Holy Spirit to give you language for how I might communicate that to my family, my friends, my neighbours, those that I live and work amongst. I believe that God's going to bring people to you and there's going to be joy that erupts around you as you read scripture. Joy. Life-giving joy. Life-giving joy. Honestly. Come on. Come on. Bless that home, Lord Jesus. Bless Dougie and Debbie. Bless them, Lord Jesus. Bless them. Let your spirit be poured out there. Let them know you with them. Let unbridled joy break out when they read the Bible in their home. Not religion. We hate religion, Lord Jesus. I know you did. (laughs) It killed you, (laughs) literally. (laughs) We hate religion, but you love life and you love people. 
help them discover your love in every verse, in every passage, in every story. Help them repent until they see the Father who loves them, and the Father who loves the world, the Father who wants every man, woman, and child to be saved. Help them read every passage until they get that. Not as some nice religious duty, but as a, in the core of their being, the depths of their being, they might know your love that surpasses knowledge, that they might be filled up to all the fullness of their God. Thank you, Jesus. Who's wearing the moon t-shirt up there? Someone's wearing a moon t-shirt. Or they were. Jake, is he gone? Is he wearing a purple? Is it purple? I can't see him. Oh, there he is up there. Hi, Jake. I I liked your t-shirt. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I want to prophesy over you, Jake, that you're going to plant a church one day. I want to. <laughs> God's told me that you're going to plant a church one day. That actually comes as a bit of a surprise. I don't want to plant a church. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, he also said, uh, never let failure get in your way, Jake. It's only those who don't try who never fail. And uh, if you are willing to try and fail, I tell you, God's going to take you to the ends of the earth. He's going to take you to peoples and places. He's going to give nations for you. He's going to give cities for you. He's going to give peoples to you if you're prepared to try and fail. You know, and the reason that I got that message is because you know, we've got that, they're trying to send out this spaceship to the moon and they've delayed it a couple of times already, but they're going to do it at some point. Just that, that's what the Holy Spirit uses. I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit often uses crazy things to speak to us, doesn't he? Come on. So uh, I just tell you that so you, you can be crazy. It will happen. Well, you know, I can tell you stories of God doing crazy things uh, through things that I said, which I, that gives me boldness to, just to be free with you today. I couldn't have got there unless I'd have tried in the past and risked being stupid. Uh, you just got to try. Got to go for it. So uh, who, who here recognizes, as I've been talking, that there's a need to grow in grace? If that's you, why, why don't you stand? In one level, everybody could respond. I'm not asking everybody to respond. I'm just asking if you feel that the Spirit really tug your, your heartstrings that you want to grow in grace in these days. I'm glad you stood, Robin, because, you know, God is going to show up around you. He's just going to show up around you. Don't try. <laughs> just enjoy living. Just enjoy Jesus. Do the things, Robin, that bring you joy and nothing else in these days. That's what I hear the Holy Spirit say. Do the things that bring you joy and nothing else. And God's going to turn up. It's not fair. Because <laughs> you've worked harder. <laughs> and seen less. But do the things that bring you joy. I tell you, God's going to turn up. And do incredible things around you. There's going to be people weeping. Because of the goodness of God. Because he's shown up around you as you've just done the things that you've enjoyed.
But for everybody that stood, Lord Jesus, I pray for grace to be poured out. An outrageous grace, Lord God. A scandalous grace. Let's laugh through all. That's what Jesus, Jesus scandalized religion because he didn't deserve stuff. You know, he hung out with sinners and with wine bibbers and gluttons. Lord Jesus, you're the God of grace. I pray for everyone that stood that they would experience an overwhelming outpouring of your grace in these days. They would see you turn up at crazy moments, unexpected moments, that tears might flow in this hall as they tell story after story of your goodness and undeserved kindness to them. Not stories that make them look good, but stories that actually just make them laugh because you are so kind, you're so good. Let grace flow, Lord Jesus. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> you know, I got offended by people laughing back in the 90s. I just want to stick my hand up and say I was too religious. <laughs> you know, I love the fact, I love the fact that the first fruit of God's salvation plan with mankind was laughter. When he promises Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a child in their old age when they're 100. And Sarah goes, Can you going to kid? Laughter. They called their son laughter. Isaac means he laughs. The first fruit in our lives when the Holy Spirit wants to do something is often laughter. Never despise it. Never despise it. Embrace it. In fact, the whole church laughed continually. Lord Jesus, grace, grace, Lord God, grace, grace. And uh, now you guys can sit down, but if, um, or fall down, that's okay too. <laughs> but if, there's, if there is a sense in you that you know a call of God for repentance, for repenting, for rethinking through how we communicate the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again to save creation, to save humanity. Now I want you to stand. It's okay, you can have both. That's, that's okay. But if there's only one of you, that's okay too. It's just a gift that God has for us to reach a new generation. He's desperate for his church to reach a generation, to reach the 21st century Western world. Give us a new language, Lord Jesus. Give us a language which resonates with our culture, an inclusive language, Lord God, that they're looking for, a generous language that they're looking for, a kind language that they're looking for. Lord Jesus, give us the language of heaven. Help us interpret the stories in your word for today, Lord Jesus, in a way that makes our hearts burn. Lord, that's what happened to those disciples. When Jesus caused them to repent, their hearts burned. They burned. Their hearts burned with the good news. They can't be contained. Come on. So I pray, Father, for those that have stood. Again, outrageous grace, Lord Jesus. As they meditate on your word, as they get frustrated when they listen to preachers talk, Lord God, as they, as they listen and read books, they get frustrated with the same old pat answers that are laid out again and again and again, which bounce off our generation because they're not resonating. Father, I pray not for a new message, but for the new language to describe the wonders of our God. 
I pray, Father, that you would break open the, the treasures of heaven for these guys as they look into your word. Those who seek find, that's what you say. Those who seek find. And I pray that they would know you with them as they read scripture and as they talk about it, as they argue about it. The Jews love to argue about scripture. We just try and tell people what to believe. <laughs> we need a freedom, a new freedom to come where we can argue, where we can disagree and still be friends and still love one another. As we search for those words, as we search for the ways of communicating the love of God to this lost generation, I tell you, if you do not give up, God's going to give you. Who's the guy in the black there, the Nike t-shirt? Charles. Hi, Charles. You know, I just want to prophesy of you. God is giving you a language from heaven, a new heavenly language to which will pierce through the kind of armor plating that a lot of hearts are wearing these days to the gospel because of the not-so-clever way that we may have communicated it. There's a new language coming to you, new words coming, new ways of describing things. As you read scripture, your heart melting, God's love for you and for those around you, overwhelming your heart, enabling you to speak to them tenderly, as people you want to be saved, not as people you want to feel bad so you can notch them up on your Bible. Lord Jesus, bless him, Lord God. Thank you for him. Thank you for him, Lord Jesus. But that's a gift for all those who stood. I thank you for this church, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you're going to blow their minds in these days with your generosity as they embrace grace and willingly choose to repent. And think through how they communicate who you are to Basingstoke and the region and the nations. Bless them, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for that word, that picture of the robin popping up on their shoulders, eating out of their hands, working alongside them. Lord God, just bringing joy to their everyday lives, ordinary lives, as you break in and do wonderful things. And most of all, I pray for them that they will all believe that they can plant a church in these days, not to empty this one, but to fill their homes and their workplaces with song and with good stories and tears and laughter as they embrace the grace of their God in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Wonderful. Thanks, mate. Thank you.